Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so very much for coming. And uh, on a very... Uh, uh, winter is doing exactly what it's supposed to do today. And uh, so um, I'm very grateful for all of you faithful people, all of you wonderful folks that are following us through the internet. It doesn't, I, I shouldn't be surprised, but I, I am frequently surprised with just the response and how many different people in different places uh, follow us. So we're grateful that it can uh, say something to them. This is a, an important day. This is a day when kind of uh, all the pieces hopefully come together. We have been dealing with your heart and uh, out of the abundance of the heart, mouth speaks. The Bible said, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. So, I have keyed on four, I don't know, monsters. Guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. Today, as we finish, um, it's one thing to diagnose a situation. My, I'm going to attempt today to try and help you fix the problem. If either, if one of these situations challenges you, possibly more than one. And I'm gonna try my best to use the scripture to show you how you fix it. So we deal with guilt. When your, when your embarrassment level will become exceeded by your desperation for God, you then become a candidate for his grace. And um, confession has the power, it's a cathartic, it's, um, it has the power to purge your heart uh, of the guilt that keeps us from living in the open. Secret, secret confession does not do this. This is the limitation. Uh, if you've got a religious past where you would go into a confessional booth, uh, Pentecostals have their own confession booth. That's called the altar. And um, I just want you to understand something. Secret confession won't fix guilt. It won't fix guilt. And the reason people feel guilt is very simple. The problem's not resolved. <laughs> and telling the Lord you're sorry isn't going to fix guilt because he's not the only one that was offended. And um, your guilt will not be fixed until you confess to the offended party. And then you don't have to play hide and seek. You can live out in the open. You say, uh, what about forgiveness, Pastor? Hasn't the Lord forgiven me? <laughs> I always smile when I hear that argument because um, the same Bible that teaches forgiveness also teaches restitution. And uh, so many people don't understand grace. I, we, I, you know, you hear people pray, thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. And so we just assume they're synonymous. We think grace is mercy. It's not. It's not. And there's a scripture, it's... Uh, probably in the book of Titus, it says, and the grace of God, which bringeth salvation, has appeared unto all men, teaching them to deny ungodliness and to live soberly and righteously in this present world. Grace is not mercy. Grace is a teacher. Grace is God's help. God, I, I, I've said grace is the power to do the will of God. And, and, it's God asks us to do things, but he's not going to expect us to do them all by ourselves. He's going to help us. And um, um, you're, you, you have to understand, your good deeds will not help you get God's grace. I, I remember being in Bible school and 
and asking, it, it's, I mean, it's used so many times in the, in the word. I remember asking one of those instructors, what is grace? It was like I punched their nose and their eyes lit up and they said, grace is the unmerited favor of God for regeneration and salvation. And then I remember just looking at him and saying, what does that mean? <laughs> he went on, because he didn't know either. Had a great stained glass answer, but it didn't work. But listen to the very first part of that technical definition of grace, the unmerited favor. In other words, you, you, you can't do something good to get God's grace. You don't, you don't deserve it. We're getting something we didn't deserve. However, you can do something to make sure you don't get it. That's why it says in the book of James, it says, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. I, I, I've said this for years. My, my job is to do my best to stay humble. His job is to promote me. When you get those two roles reversed, you're in real trouble. In, in other words, if I take God's job and say it's my job to promote myself, if I start doing God's job, he's going to say, okay, if you're going to do my job, I'm going to do yours. My job is to keep myself humble. So if I start promoting myself, <coughs> God, God will humble me. And when God humbles you, he's really, really, really good at it. And, and uh, uh, he, he resists the proud. And, and, and it's just, it's, understand this. You're, your good deeds won't make God give you more grace. But that is not true of your relationship with people. God has forgiven you, but the others have not. And, and, and in fact, they may still be hostage to bitterness and anger over what was done. And, and this is why this is so powerful. You very possibly hold the last piece of the puzzle that will allow someone to move on with their life. Don't be stingy. Don't hang on to that. Give that. Give that confession to those people to allow them. Because... Confession to God doesn't accomplish confession to a wronged party, <laughs> which, which means the Lord's forgiveness doesn't exempt us from this. See, there's all these fancy words, propitiation, sanctification. How about this one, reconciliation? To, to, when you reconcile, that means you have taken the hurdles. You have taken the, 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 the walls between you and another individual away. You are, you are reconciled. How did Jesus reconcile us to him? How did, were we put in, in good standing with the Lord? The cross. See, Jesus paid a very, very high price for you and I to be reconciled to him. So we're crazy to assume it's not going to also cost us a very high price to be reconciled to someone else. Reconciliation is expensive. And, 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 and yes, it's painful. And, and, and it's inconvenient. But think about Jesus. Listen, listen to this verse. This is Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, and then it says this, he despised the shame. I, I, I've looked at this for, for years as, you know, you know he's naked. He's naked. He, they, they took his clothes off. All, all he had left at the end was just the robe. They, they gambled over that. I, 
I thought that the thing that he, that, that was so uncomfortable for him besides the pain is the shame of being naked in front of a crowd of people. That's not what it says. It says he despised the shame. He, 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 he belittled it. He, he literally scowled at it and said, I am not going to allow the uncomfortable part of being naked in front of this crowd to stop me from being the redeemer of the world. I am not going to allow, however unpleasant this is, I'm not going to allow that unpleasantness. He, he, he scowled at it. He despised it. He said, I am not going to let you stop me from reconciling, which is a lesson to you and I. We can't allow, however unpleasant it may be, to stop you from being reconciled with someone else. Because let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, I read something years ago. It said, around the cross, all ground is equal. Around the cross, my excuses don't matter. <laughs> because it says you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you, 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 you should show forth the praises of him, watch, that's called you out of darkness into marvelous light. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm pleading with you today to stop the endless cycle of going just to an altar and confessing, I, 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 that, that's not enough. That's not going to fix the problem with someone else. That, that, that use confession as the power tool for which it was intended. I mean, even Alcoholics Anonymous knows that, that the very first step to recovery is confession. And, 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 and be, listen, listen closely. The consequences of confession are nothing compared to the consequences of concealment. You keep playing hide and seek and keep that poison inside of you. It'll eat you alive. Because secrets, ladies and gentlemen, are like splinters. They just need to come out. I, I get splinters all the time working in a little wood shop. And it's just your fingers, every, every woodworker knows. I, I don't care what kind of tape measure you have. I don't care what you use to measure. There is nothing as accurate as your finger. You want to know if two boards are flush, just take your finger and rub it down. It won't show up on a tape measure, but you'll feel whether one's proud or not. You, you, you can sense that. And I'm rubbing my fingers all over stuff all the time and getting pieces of metal and pieces of wood and, and just, it's just, you can't see it, but I'll, I'll, I'll just take that and go, oh, 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 what is that? And it's just, it, you gotta get that out. It could be so small, but it can just mess up your whole day because the, the Bible's quite clear. He, when he resurrected, he had scars, scars. Now you think of this, they, they beat him. They, there's 39 stripes on his back. We're not talking, you're not talking some raised welt here. You're talking a slice. These are, these, 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 these pieces of leather that they used back then, there were pieces of bone tied in the end or pieces of glass or metal. When, when, when that, when that, when he was scourged, when he was beaten, those, those stripes ripped, ripped his back apart. Think of Paul. He said five times of the Jews received thy 40 stripes save one, which means he's got 195 scars on his back. But look at Jesus. I mean, his back, you're not, you're not just talking about red and swollen. You're talking about sliced and bleeding. He, he's, got, he's got these spikes that have been driven, these thorns that are pressed into his brow. He's got nails driven into his wrist and his ankles. He's got a spear 
driven so deep in his side, it, it pierces that sack around your heart, that para, para, peritoneum, that it, it's just, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying those kind of wounds don't heal in three days. I'm saying in three days they should have been red and swollen and, 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 and bleeding and pus and there wasn't even time for scabs after three days. But when he comes out, it scars. I, I wish I had time to tell you and talk to you and teach you how the, that death, burial, and resurrection has the ability to accelerate healing. It can speed up things in your life and fix them and repair them. And, and it's just, it's, it's medically impossible for the severity of the wounds that Jesus, that, that he had before the cross and on the cross to be scars in three days. It, it, it's just confession. It's the habit that can change everything. Confession, that's guilt. Now I want to talk to you about anger because I guess you could say that behind all of those words and actions and, and all that huffing and puffing, it just comes down to the fact I didn't get my way. And I always talk, I introduced something to you a couple of weeks ago, a debt-debtor relationship because, because guilt, guilt is, 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 is very, it, it's, it, what's, what's the, what do you owe? Guilt, guilt is, 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 it's a debt and debtor situation there because the angry person approaches life one way. You owe me. You owe me. And the remedy for anger is forgiveness. So give guilty people have to get in the habit of confession. Angry people have to get in the habit of forgiving. There is so much confusion over what it means to forgive. I, I think there are three kinds of people, either in this room or watching me right now. Number one, the first group knows they should do it, but can't quite get the courage or the desire to do it. The second group feels like if I do, I'm letting the offender off way too easy. And, and, and the third group claims to have gone through the motions, but those old memories keep boiling up and and calling to them and, and leaving them to wonder if, if they've really forgiven. So how do, you, how do you forgive someone? How do you know if you have? What, what, if, what if the other person's a repeat offender? What, 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 if, what if you don't even know how to get in touch with them? What, 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 if, what if you can't stomach the idea of getting in touch? What if they're dead? How are you gonna get in touch with them then? Even though Jesus gave us the ultimate example. The question of anger is still an issue in the church. It's still an issue in believers' lives. Listen, listen to, you know, how do you get rid of an emotion like that? Listen, listen to what Paul said. This is Ephesians 4 and 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with you with all malice. Here's NIV, New International Version. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every other form of malice. How do you get rid of that? Because in the original language, it literally means to separate yourself from it. it did you ever run through a spider web? You know, and, it, and it's just like it's everywhere. That, that's, that's my mental model. You just get it off of you as quick as you can. And, and it's just, it's, it's, it's just, Paul covers all these, I mean, this guy lives 2,000 years ago. He can't possibly understand what I'm going through today. <laughs> if, 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 if I came up to a person that uh, I leave church today and I go to a restaurant, I'm always talking to people and, and, I, and, I, and I find someone that I've never ever talked to before and, 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 uh, and um, you know, and, Say you need to get rid of your bitterness, you know, towards your ex-wife or your husband. And uh, the, the G-rated response to that would be, mind your own business. You haven't heard my side of the story. Meatloaf died this week. I was, I was, oh, I, I, I was intrigued with Meatloaf years ago. I, 
And literally, he got that name when he was a baby in the hospital. His dad said he looks like a bunch of ground chuck. And literally, that's what they called him. And, you know, he was chubby and, and he wasn't handsome and yet he was extremely talented. And, and I saw Dan Rather have an interview with him one time. And, and, uh, and he said, I, 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 I was just, they told me that a chief from a local Native American tribe was in the audience and wanted to meet me. Would that be okay? And he said, oh, absolutely. And so this Indian chief comes back and, and he said, and I just started talking. I, I, was, I was so excited and I was just telling him all this stuff. And, and finally, the, the, the chief puts up his hand and he said, um, we would like to adopt you into our tribe. But that's not possible unless I give you your official Native American name. And he said, man, I'm crying like a little girl and said, I, I've never been so honored in my life. He said, please give me a name. And he said, you from this day forward, you shall be known as chief who talks too much. <laughs> it's just, you, you, gotta, you gotta listen to my side of the story. It's just, before you write Paul off and think he was goofy, please remember where he was when he wrote these words. He's not in a hammock on the Mexican Riviera. He's in a prison in Rome. And he's been there for a year. And, and, and in spite of this, a guy who should be angry and full of bitterness, he's telling Christians to rid themselves of bitterness and anger. What if he's right? And what if there is a way? I mean, stuff happens. We feel like victims. We lash out, have no control over what's done. Uh, listen to me. A victim will always have an excuse. Always. And in time, they come to believe that, that, that lie, that it's okay to act the way they do and uh, have no obligation to change. I'm fine just the way I am. And in the end, many of these people don't want to change because it's easier to stay this way and make excuses. So, so these people spend all of their time telling all these sad stories rather than fixing the problem. It's a Trojan horse, ladies and gentlemen, and what's in us is bitterness. And so what did Paul, Paul, Paul is saying, get, get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and slander. That's 31. Listen to 32. Listen to the next verse. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Watch, even as God for Christ's sakes hath forgiven you. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he said, you know, get rid of all this. And with nothing more than a comma, he, he, he uses the word forgiving. And, 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 and he, he said, just as Christ forgave you. I mean, Peter, Peter thought he was being magnanimous when he said, uh, what if I forgive him seven times? He didn't understand the concept of forgiveness. Here's, here's <coughs> in, in Matthew 18, Jesus tells this story about these two slaves. One, it says, owes the master. I, the word is doulos, the Greek word doulos. That's what's translated servant. It literally means slave. We're talking slaves here. And, and, and it, it says that the slave owes his master 10,000 talents. Now between the services, Talisha did some homework for me. She said, pastor, it's $3 billion. He owes the master 10,000 talents. And in verse 25, he said, okay, I got to get some of my money back. I'm going to sell you. I'm going to sell your wife. I'm going to sell your kids. The, the, the slave says, he doesn't ask him to forgive him. He says, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And it said the master was moved with compassion and forgave, forgave the debt. Then it says this forgiven man goes and finds another slave who owes him a hundred pence. How much was that, Talisha? 20,000. 20, he grabs him by the throat 
And he says, give me my money. The second servant asked the very same thing that the first one did. He didn't ask to be forgiven. He said, have patience with me. I'll pay it all back to you. He said, no. He threw him into prison. The other slaves were so distraught with the story, they went back to the master and said, did you hear what that bum did? And he said, no. And when he heard that the man that he had forgiven of $3 billion, now ladies and gentlemen, we're talking slaves here. Did you ever think about this? I'm thinking about this today and, and studying with this. How in the world can a slave get a hold of 10,000 talents? There's only, he's either embezzling or he's stealing. This is the master's money. And the master, it, it says he was wroth, verse 34, delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Watch 35. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespass. I've heard this all my life. Oh, there's a sea of forgetfulness. I don't think that's the way it's worded. I, 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 I don't think there's a, there's a place in the Bible known as the sea of forgetfulness. But, but, but there are people that say, see there? He'll cast that into the sea of forgetfulness. And it, it's, it, or how about this one? It's under the blood. It's under the blood. It'll, it'll, I don't have to worry about that anymore. I want you to understand something. When you read Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is teaching that the master resurrected a forgiven debt and made it relevant again because of that man's unforgiving spirit towards his brother. So when Peter said, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive him seven times, how about that? I told you he doesn't understand the concept of forgiveness. Now let me give it to you another way. Here's the Lord's prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. What, what does it say? What, what, what's the next one? Forgive us our debt as we forgive. I, we've got this stupid concept. I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to forgive you. You don't deserve it. You're a rat and a lousy bum. But me, I'm magnanimous. I'm going to do you a favor and I'm going to forgive you. That's not what Jesus said. I'm not doing you a favor. I'm doing me a favor. Because God is fair. The same way I judge other people is the same way he's going to judge me. What are you saying? I'm saying I need a lot of mercy. I know me better than anybody else knows me. So I want to be a merciful person and I want to be quick to forgive. Why? Because that's what keeps my under the blood stuff under the blood. Otherwise, that stuff's going to pop up like whack-a-mole with Chuck E. Cheese and go, wait a minute, I, God forgave me of that. Not when you have an unforgiving spirit. He'll forgive as you forgive. Are we forgiving? Are we carrying on a running gun battle? Forgiveness is the decision. I mean, this is Matthew 18. This is what people don't understand. Most of, considering my crowd here, my audience, if I ask you, what is the big deal in Matthew 16? Anybody that's even a cursory student of the Bible knows that's when he told Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's, it's fascinated me for years because in Psalms 19, it said the heavens, not heaven, singular. It said the heavens, plural, declare the glory of God. When you get into Corinthians 12, Paul said, I knew a man, he's talking about himself. I knew a man that was caught up to the third heaven. So reason dictates if there's a third heaven, there's got to be a second heaven and there's got to be a first heaven. And when you go to the book of Genesis, he put a firmament, which means space between the water on the planet from the water in the clouds. He called the firmament heaven. I believe personally that, that the first heaven is the atmosphere around this planet. I believe the third heaven is the, is the throne of God himself. I believe the the second heaven are where, are where the stars live. Amen. Well, one is the atmosphere around our earth. The other is beyond the atmosphere of our earth. It's where the moon and the stars and the Milky Way live. See? The first heaven you see by day. The second heaven you see by night. The third heaven you see by faith. 
I mean, it's, it's powerful. Why, why are you saying this, Pastor? Because Jesus told Peter, there are some things in heaven that need to be bound. There are some things in heaven that need to be loosed. If your concept of heaven is one dimensional and it's just the throne of the Lord, I promise you everything's going according to plan there. There is a heaven where there's some things that are, that are got out of the barn that need to be tied up. There are some things that are bound that need to be loosed. I think it was Barry. Barry, uh, a, a young child, I, I asked, he said, someone young asked me this question. I didn't know how to answer. He said, if everything's perfect around the throne of the Lord, then how in the world could there be pride? And I said, I don't know, but I'll study. And so I study and I read and I asked other elders and it becomes very obvious. They got a will. The Bible said they left. It doesn't say they lost. It, said they, it doesn't say they lost. It said they left their first estate. They chose pride. The Bible said you are made a spectacle to men and to the world and to angels. That's what it says. I don't have time to, to flesh all this out with you, but I know in the book of Daniel, he set himself to fast and pray for 20, for three weeks. And after three weeks, all of a sudden, Gabriel comes to him and says, from the first day that you set yourself to fast and pray, I was sent with your answer. However, the prince of Persia withstood me. Michael withstood the prince of Persia. I was able to get around him and come to you. It's, it's powerful. I, 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 I hate to get subtract, sidetracked with it, but, but whatever. I, I don't have another service right after this, so I can be a little longer here today. It's just, ladies and gentlemen, it's not the garden of Eden. It's the garden in Eden. In, not of. Eden is much bigger than the garden. It's very obvious where geographically the garden was. You go, it just takes you five chapters and just a couple chapters in the book of Genesis. It's never known as the Garden of Eden again. It's known as the Plains of Shinar. This is the place where they intended to build this skyscraper that would reach to the heavens so that God could never ever hurt us again with water. You remember that? The Plains of Shinar was Babel. When he confused their tongues, it was the leftover stone from Babel that was the building material for Babylon. Babylon, Medes and Persians. Persia is the ancient name of modern day Iran. Mesopotamia, Babylon, whatever. It's the ancient name of modern day Iraq. Ladies, we're still having trouble with Iran and Iraq today. Why? It's where Satan established a beachhead on this planet. Satan is territorial. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever get a territorial spirit. This is my office. This is my piano. This is my microphone. The God that we serve is not bound. He is omnipresent. But the enemy of our soul is territorial. And when you get a territorial spirit, that did not come from the Lord. All right? Understand that. This is, this is very, very powerful. And so it, it is obvious to me that when Gabriel was sent with the answer to, 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 to Daniel, he, he comes against the prince of Persia. You're not talking about some. You're talking about something in the spirit, something in that heaven between where the Lord sat and where Daniel was praying in the second heaven. That's why the Bible said there are some things you need to bind in heaven. And if you'll bind them, I'll back you up. And if you loose in heaven, I'll back you up as well. You, you ever read that verse that said, whatever God had joined together, let not man put asunder? They, they, that's always used at a wedding. Don't, don't limit it to a wedding. Go, go all the way back to the beginning. When God ties something together, you're not ever going to live long enough to untie it. God tied obedience with blessing. God tied disobedience with correction. That's all the way from the beginning. But he gave a power to Peter. If you bind something on this earth, I'll back you up. Peter, in obedience to the teaching of Jesus, bound water baptism with the name of Jesus Christ. He tied those two things together. You'll never live long enough to untie water baptism from being administered in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever, ever untie that. 
Ah, oh boy, what are you saying? I'm reading to you from Matthew 18. People don't realize Matthew 16, 17, and 18. It's the same Bible class. It's the same lesson. Jesus wasn't just teaching about loosing and binding. Here he's talking about forgiveness. Why? Because it has the power to free you. Jesus' name. When, when someone is hurt, and someone owes. And that's why they say, I'm going to get even with you. A transaction must take place. You can come to the altar and repent, but that's not going to fix it with the other prayer. It may, take, it may take an apology. It may take money. It may take a favor or some other thing. But, 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 but for goodness sakes, the debt's going to remain until you deal with that. I, 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 I just... Paul is saying, get rid of anger. Get rid of malice. Why? Christ forgave you. You don't understand. I got, whoa, 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 whoa. Get at the bottom of Calvary and start yelling at that cross. And say, you don't understand what they did to me. And they may have actually done it to you. But let me tell you about Jesus. He didn't do anything wrong. He was sinless. And yet he still allowed the execution to take place. That, 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 that's, 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 that's the most horrendous death in the history of the world right there. So I can't go to him and say, you don't understand my story. When him saying, I never did anything wrong. You did, but I didn't. But if I was willing to forgive, why aren't you? We, we think we have every right to hold out until we're paid back. When in fact, we're the ones that are paying all the time. To refuse to forgive is to choose to self-destruct. You don't forgive because the other person deserves it. You forgive because you have been forgiven. Establish that habit in your life. Go home today. Identify. You probably already know this, who you're angry with. Determine what they owe you. Write it out. And just tear it up. Cancel the debt. Dismiss the case. Because remember, guilt says, I owe you. Anger says, you owe me. But greed says, I owe me. Greedy people have a supersized fear that God can't take care of them. Greed is not a money issue. It's a fear issue. It really comes down to the fact that I just don't believe God's able to take care of me. Jesus gave a story about a man whose barn was full. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down this barn. I'll build a bigger barn. And then the voice says, thou fool, this night your soul is required. See, see, see the abundance of this man's harvest had little to do with his hard work. They're at the mercy of things beyond their control. He never considered the fact that God had anything to do with what he had. They'll teach it to you in a couple weeks. If your barn's full, the answer is not build a bigger barn. The answer is be grateful for what you've been blessed with and the other stuff, give away. Because this guy thought because he had a lot of stuff, he had a lot of time. Your stuff does not equate to time. Let me give you a revelation. You're going to give it away one way or the other. You're either going to make the choice to give it away or when you die, you have no say, but it's going to be given away. 
My daddy always used to say, you don't see a U-Haul behind a hearse, Harold. I remember when daddy died, I remember something I learned in Australia. They said, you can't take it with you. All you have is your story. Just make sure that when you're gone, you leave behind a great story. It's just, you're going to have to give it away one way or the other, either by choice or by dying. I remember being at a, a gun show several years ago, and there was a man that was selling medals. You know, he had all German medals and Russian medals and army medals from the U.S. And I looked in the bottom of his rack, and there was this, <laughs> this star with this baby blue ribbon on it, and I knew instantly what it was. And I said, can I see that? And he brought this beautiful box out. It was a Congressional Medal of Honor. And I said, how did you get this? He said, well, people get divorced, people die, stepkids get it, they have no appreciation for it. He said, I have 17 of them. And I'm going, who in the world would get rid of a Congressional Medal of Honor. And then it dawns on me, lots of people. Because that soldier obviously treasured it till he died, but once he died, it ended up on a rack at a gun show in Michigan. Either you give it away while you still have time, or it'll be given away when time runs out. Because Jesus ends his parable with, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. <laughs> because the last lesson is this. If you're greedy and your eagerness to hold and hoard outpaces your willingness to give, you're going to suffer total loss when time's right out. Because not only are you gonna lose your stuff, you're gonna lose your soul. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is total, absolute bankruptcy. No wonder he said, I want your, your soul to prosper and be in health. Amen. Your soul to prosper. I, I read a story about a rich man and a poor man, and they both died. And when the rich man went to heaven, here was the poor man living in this magnificent mansion. And he was up on the balcony waving, hey, man, it's great to see you. And the poor, the rich guy's saying, whoa, if that's the kind of house that dude lives in up here, I can't wait to see my house because I've always had an amazing, my house was so much nicer than it is. And Peter kept walking him. And they got out of the city and they went across the railroad tracks and they went and he led him up to a corrugated tin shack. It was shiny and clean, but it was a corrugated tin shack. And he said, hey, Pete, what gives? He said, back, back there, I had the mansion and that guy had the shack. Up here, he's got the mansion and I got the shack. And Peter said, well, we did the best we could with what you sent us up to work with. Everything that these people considered life was lost. Have you ever been robbed? You ever been mugged? I remember when I was a kid, our house was broken into. My wife and I, we were in a travel trailer and they broke into it while we were in it. It wasn't a big travel trailer. It was, it was a very scary thing. I, I'm, I'm whatever. A lot of people don't know who Jack Benny was, but I, I remember Jack Benny years ago, they, they, they stuck a gun in his ribs and said, your money or your life. And he stood there and, and the guy said it again, your money or your life. And he said, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> because in the past, when you were in trouble and you didn't have, you weren't bashful when it came to asking God for his help. 
here's, here's the challenge, ladies and gentlemen. Why is it when we're broke and we have nothing and boy, do we pray and ask for God's help. When you got more month than you got money, when you, when you, got, you got bills and it's it just it, on and on and on and on. I want to know why when we finally get some money do we quit praying? I think we ought to pray just as hard when we get the money and what to do with it now that we have it as we did when we didn't have anything and we're begging God to help us. Don't quit praying when you get blessed. When you get blessed, say, dear God, please help me not to mess this up now. How should I handle this? What should I do with this? Don't you say, it's mine. It, it, it won't work, ladies and gentlemen. If, if you're, you're living so that you got nothing left to give, you're probably greedy. Because generous feelings and generous intentions won't fix greed. Oh, I feel so bad for them. Oh, isn't that terrible? And then you don't do nothing. Don't wait. What, what are you saying, Brother Hoffman? I'm saying the way you fix guilt is by confession. The way you fix anger is by forgiveness. The way you fix greed is by becoming generous. Give. And it shall be given unto you. Not to hoard and store, but so that he can trust you to give more away. He said, if you're master over small things, I'll make you master over great things. See, we're in covenant. Brother Mitchell, I'm, you know, from the 27th of February until the 24th of April, I've asked you to be here. We've got nine Sundays in a row, and they're critical to the future of this church. But on the, in, in, in March, we're asking Brother Mitchell, who just had a heart transplant, to come and speak to us. Now, he may have to do it on tape. You know, I don't want him to have to speak twice in one day, and, and I'm hoping he can do it. But, 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 but I... I I want, you to, I want you to understand this. I want you to grasp this concept because the, the, the way you fix greed is by being generous. <laughs> Jealousy says, God owes me. You look from the beginning. Cain was jealous of Abel. Esau was jealous of Jacob. Joseph's brothers were jealous of him. <laughs> I told people, you know, even Woody was jealous of Buzz Lightyear. It's just this jealousy has been around for a long, long time. But I'm telling you that jealousy has an Achilles heel because this may come as a shock to you, but there's one common issue that every one of these things I've been talking about has in common. If you understand this one dynamic, you will be free to quit blaming everyone and everything for less than attractive behaviors. And, and you guessed it. What's the one common denominator in all of this? Me. Me. This, listen to James when he said, where does all this fighting come from? Listen, listen, I'm almost done. Here's James chapter four. You lust and have not. You, can, you kill and desire to have. You cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. And then he went on to say, because you ask amiss. Ladies and gentlemen, lust is an appetite. I don't care how much, I, I, I don't do it all the time. I, my, my dad hated restaurants, hated restaurants. He said, your mother cooks better than all of them. I want to go home and eat your mother's cooking. I ain't giving them people my money. That's how it was hairy, you know. And, 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 but I, I'm in a position where I, I'm usually taking somebody out at least once and usually multiple times a week. And, 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 uh, 
I, I, I've been, through the years, I've, I've eaten dinner at some nice places. Paul Trenacost will probably watch this. You, you want to eat, hang out with Trenacost. That dude, I, I, re, I remember being in Gainesville, Florida, speaking for Jeff Arnold's anniversary service, and there was a pastor there named Jim Larson from San Diego, California. Jim Larson says, Brother Arnold said, what do you guys want to eat? Jim Larson said, I want some great shrimp. We're in Florida, I want some great shrimp. Jeff said, well, I, I, I really don't know where the best shrimp place is in town. Jim Larson, this is way before cell phones and Google and searching and all that stuff. He said, he, he named the street. And, 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 and he said, he, he, he went to this restaurant we had this amazing dinner. Brother Arnold looked at me and said, Hoff, I've been living here for 35 years. I didn't even know this place existed. Larson lives in San Diego. He knows more about the restaurants in my town than I know about the restaurants in my town. I never was around anybody like Jim Larson. Every town, it was not, you know, what architectural wonder was there, what museum was there. Every town was identified by restaurants. If you go to this city, make sure you go here. And he had the whole, all over America, he had it all mapped out. Trinicost, I go down there, New Orleans with him. Man, the guy treats me like a king. And, 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 and he gets appetizers. I never get appetizers. He gets appetizers, all kinds of stuff. And, you know, the whole deal. And, and, and you, you, there's this amazing meal and, and you pay a lot of money for it. And, Five hours later, I'm hungry. I could have gone to McDonald's and bought a Big Mac, been just as full. Five hours later, I'm ready to eat again. It's an appetite. You understand what I'm talking to you about? Appetites. Appetites grow through giving into them, not from neglecting them. It's, it's just the issue in every quarrel is, is we don't get our way. I, I, I have to take ownership of the problem. When you blame someone, you, you, you are in fact saying, I can't be happy without their cooperation. In other words, you are dependent upon them. What's the solution? This is what James said. You don't have because you don't ask the Lord. You need to do this for me. You need to give me that. I wasn't given this. I didn't get the breaks. Blah, 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 blah. Why don't we take that same complaining spirit in prayer to the Lord and instead of blaming everybody else, just do what David said. David was anointed to be king by Samuel when he was young. It's over 20 years between the anointing and him finally sitting on the throne. You know, read those Psalms. There's, there's a place, it's, it's probably in, in, in Samuel where it said he had 400 men in the cave at Adullam. It said they were all in debt. They were all distressed. They were all discontented. I mean, I mean they, they, these guys are goobers. You read about his mighty men in 23rd chapter. Hey, people say, those are great. But there's a guy there that jumped into a hole when there's two, he knew there was two lions in the bottom of the hole and the Bible said there was snow on the ground. That, that's, that's dumb, man. You, 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 you know you can't climb out unless you kill them lions that are down there. That's not a mighty man. That's a dumb guy as far as I'm concerned. I'm telling you, some of these guys around David, they were goobers. They were amazing fighters and amazing warriors. But he, you can read it. Read between the lines in the Psalms. David says, I'm a king. Are you kidding me? I'm a king. Is this mildewed rock that I've been sleeping under for three months? Is, is this my throne? Are, are these goobers? Is this my court of royal advisors? These, these old scratched and, and all, all these jaggers and all these, these horrible mangled clothes I got on. Are these my royal vestments? Read the Psalms. There's nothing wrong with pouring out your heart before God. I'm in trouble here. I gotta have some help. I need this. Why are you saying? Because when you read the Psalms, not one of the Psalms ends in depression. If there's a common thread through the Psalms, it says this at the end, that I will praise the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Why? Because when we come to prayer and stop pouring out of our, all of our reasons while we're angry and while we're mad, 
and why we didn't get the brakes. And all of a sudden, you start dumping that stuff out at the bottom of the cross. You feel about that big. And you realize, oh, Jesus, I can't afford to have this kind of attitude. I can't afford to carry this baggage inside of my spirit. Ah. So what are you saying? I'm saying if you're guilty, confess. I'm saying if you're dealing with anger, you need to forgive. If you're greed, you need to start confessing. But if you're jealous, you need to learn to worship. And you need to be grateful. He'll see it, and I'm not ashamed to tell him this. I met Jerry Dean before I was married. I met him in Arkansas. And, and it was a tough duty assignment that he had in Arkansas. And he went from there to Memphis and that was even a tougher duty assignment. And, 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 and I loved him and he was kind to me. And all of a sudden he ends up in Bossier City, Louisiana. And Bossier City is this amazing church, just this amazing church and it's been blessed like you can't imagine. And they, they, you walk in a church, you just smell money. You just do. And yet when I go to see Jerry Dean, he drives this, 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 little, this little Honda. Little Honda, I don't know how many miles it has on it. It's like, dude, you can afford to have any car that you want. And he drives this modest little car and he's got all this money. And, 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 and there ought to be something inside of me that says, I'm so jealous of you, Dino, for goodness sakes. Uh, how come you got all these cabillions of dollars? And yet I see him and I've watched him build Bible schools all over the world. And there's a part of me that says, I refuse to be jealous of my brother. I'm going to rejoice because he's been blessed. Stand with me. I got a call very recently. It wasn't from this church. It was another pastor. And he said, Brother Hoffman, you and your wife are the only two people we felt comfortable sharing this with and told me about this, this enormous blessing. And yes, it was money. And, and, it was, and he said, you, you, and, 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 and I was so grateful and gracious and happy for him and hung up. And after he hung up, I thought, oh God, what, how horrible that is that he had to call Renee and I hundreds of miles away from where he was because there was no one else that he could trust to rejoice. The Bible said, weep with them that weep. It will not, it's not gonna be hard to find somebody that'll bawl and squall with you when you're crying, but it's tough to find somebody that'll rejoice with you when there's a great blessing in your life. You intend to be that person that someone could come to you and say, I'm gonna rejoice with you, my brother. Why? Because I'm telling you that confession will kill guilt and forgiveness will kill anger and generosity will kill greed and exalting and being grateful that God's blessed somebody else will kill jealousy. She's getting married and you aren't. Thank God with her that she got a good man. All right? She can wear a dress two sizes smaller than you can. Quit being jealous. For goodness sake, he's driving the car that you always wanted. Say, man, that's great. What a great car. You know, you, you, in Michigan speak, he shot a 10-point buck and you got a spike or a doe. So what? Man, that's a great deer. Why? Don't be jealous. We're fixing to go into a building program. It's, 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 we will be an abysmal failure if we're a people that are full of guilt and anger and greed and jealousy. It will not work. Let's mend this. If there's anybody in this room or watching me online, for goodness sakes, don't let this stuff hold you captive one more day. Come with me around an altar. Come with me around an altar in Jesus' name. Come clapping. Don't stop. Don't go. Come worshiping. Don't. Draylon's got this great song he's going to lead us in. But I want everybody to be in the choir today. Everybody. We're all going to sing together. This is a great song. Listen.
Your love. 